Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. Well, today on Urban Spelunking, two different stops. The first takes us to a long-standing restaurant space on Brady Street with this really strong Italian connection, right, Bobby? Yeah, there's a, a commercial building that was built in the 20s and... Ever since then, it's been home to lots of uh, uh, grocery stores, restaurants, bars, some of them long-lasting, some of them kind of a flash in the pan. Yeah, now it's the Diplomat, so we're mm-hmm. going to check out the space there first. And then later on, we're going to go to a brewery in Bayview that is using this really old technology to make a really craft, like a super craft beer product, 1840 Brewery, right in Bayview. Yeah, and they're having, despite the fact that they're only open to the public like one weekend a month and they have very little signage on their building, they're incredibly popular. They just opened last year. They're already the best new bar in the, on Milwaukee.com Best of Bars poll and came in second in Best Brewery, which seems astonishing. So a restaurant space that's been there forever, it seems like, and then a brewery that is making use of this really old brewing method, barrel-age brewing. Both those coming up today on Urban Spelunking. Brady Street, our destination today on Urban Spelunking. We're going to a restaurant there called The Diplomat, which is the newest iteration at a building that has been a bunch of different restaurants over the years, like going back about 100 years, right, Bobby? Yeah, close to 100 years. It was built in the 20s, and there's apartments upstairs, and the downstairs has been a long string of bars, restaurants, uh, retail spaces, all kinds of... There was even a funeral home in there briefly. So these days it's owned by Dane and Anna Baldwin at The Diplomat. Uh, before that, it was Bosley, but mm-hmm. way back when it was, it had this really strong Itali- Italian connection. In fact, some of the first pizzerias in Milwaukee, some of the first, not the yes, first, not but the first, some but very early Milwaukee. Very early pizzeria, either the second or third. There were After the first one, there were two that kind of opened up pretty quickly. Uh, DiBella's in the 40s was there. And reading the the piece that you wrote, Bobby, it looks like you did a lot of research about just kind of the the old Italian scene on Brady Street, especially around this building. Uh, it, it almost reads like like a Scorsese script <laughs> or something. It was crazy, just well, like how, how how deep it goes. Yeah, it was interesting. The guy who built the building was Italian, and um, then there were some pretty much the whole time there were businesses there. There was a political office in there for a while, and that was very engaged in the Italian community there. And there were restaurants owned by Italians, bars owned by Italians. Um, one that opened in the 50s was called Sunny Italy. and, and uh, It's a good name. Yeah, it's a great name. and the, the Especially fa- for Milwaukee, right? Yeah. And then the... Where it's uh, not so sunny all the time. There was a pizzeria next door and there was a connection between these families. And then, of course, this place is best known for being Cataldo's for a long time in the 70s, Cataldo's. 80s, 90s. Yeah. So you dug up these really great original ads for these pizza restaurants that were in this building that the Diplomat is in now yeah. on Brady Street. and Yeah, the DiBello one is pretty hilarious. Yeah, yeah. like the tone of... Try hum- this new Italian delicacy. <laughs> the idea of pizza being a delicacy is yeah. just kind of charming in its own way. Oh, I, mean, I know. It's, it's sure, just, there is craft pizza, but I mean the idea of just having a slice of pizza at one Yeah, time and it is a delicacy, but it's exotic. become so... Right, it's become anything but exotic. And it definitely seemed exotic in the earliest days, though. So that was Cataldo's that that was in this building, but there were a bunch of other businesses, many of them family-owned. In fact, there was a story about this woman that... Yeah, that's, that's my favorite story about this place. In the late 40s, a woman ran a restaurant there, and she worked from 4 in the afternoon until 4 in the morning every night running this place. And that got her in trouble with the law because it turned out her kid who went to school around the corner was not showing up for school. He would go to the movies instead. He had some crazy number of absences for the year, like 50 absences and tardies or something. So she got uh, in trouble for that. But then a few years later, she also got in trouble. She ran afoul of the law when she uh, was selling liquor without a license. 
Yeah, you were uh, literally pouring whiskey from a teapot? From a teapot. And uh, Dane and Anna Baldwin, who own The Diplomat, loved that story. And they said that they might consider creating some sort of whiskey-based cocktail with that theme, with the teapot theme. Yeah, if they're not going to pour it from a teapot, I hope I think they should. Yeah, that story better be carried on in some way. Yes. (laughs) So from, you know, from... All these iterations as as restaurants, many of them are family owned restaurants, mm-hmm. uh, family businesses that people just like today. You know, I mean, these these proprietors were sinking their their you know their their whole life into these buildings at the time. Yeah, and that's that's really what Dane and Anna are doing too. They've you know they had other jobs in the industry and they like decided to kind of go out on their own and do their own place. So they've sunk everything. They've got blood, sweat, tears, money into this place to really make a go of it. And they're really trying to be a neighborhood place. They're really kind of like reaching out to the neighborhood. And they love, they've got loads of people who've come in who's, who used to, you know, their parents used to go to this place or their parents owned the place at some point. Um, and one guy came in who told a story about one of the pizzerias that was there. The woman used to make little pizzas that she would give to the school, like school kids would come by after school. And she would give them these little pizzas, and she wouldn't charge them for them. So she really sort of was like the the grandma of the neighborhood. That's adorable. Yeah, and they love that story, and they really want to be kind of that. They want that vibe. They want people to come in and feel like it's a, a good neighborhood place. Yeah, I mean, talk about uh, I mean a, a place like Brady Street with just so many Milwaukee connections, so many neighborhood connections. You couldn't. I would. I'd imagine it'd be hard to run a, a a place that you didn't have that mindset that you know with respect and reverence for. Just people's connections to Brady Street. Oh yeah, and they totally ha- they totally have that. They love the history of the place, and you know, Brady Street is still one of those neighborhoods that is really a neighborhood. You know, people come and go, of course, but um, you still have a lot of longtime residents, a lot of close knit blocks, and people who kind of stay close to home. Um, so it's the perfect place to have that kind of approach. Well, you end the story with a really interesting quote that I think speaks to you know what the present owners, Dane and Anna Baldwin, are. Their mindset is, but also the mindset of all these other restaurant owners that have been in this very building over the years. You ask them if they are in it for 20 years, and uh, you say here that Anna says, oh, yeah, without hesitation, and her husband Dane says, yeah, if it goes 20 years, then absolutely. Yeah, yeah, they're all in. If it's if it lasts that long, they're all in. But, you know, the, the issue is the, the issue that people have been talking about lately, especially with so many restaurants closing, is that, you know, what's saturation point in Milwaukee in general? But, you know, Brady Street, if you look at pictures, even going back to the 70s, to the 60s, even earlier, you look straight down the street and there's bar sign, mm-hmm. restaurant sign, bar sign, restaurant sign. It's always, you know, for 100 years, it's been what it is now, which is tons of retail and restaurants and bars. And it's hung on in places, you know. It's hard to say which ones are going to stay right. and which ones aren't. Well, if you read on Milwaukee, there's always stories about openings and closings, yep. and it's it's a tough business to run a restaurant and, it to, really and, is. To, and to keep it going. And restaurant owners know this. You oh, know? yeah, better than anyone else. <laughs> right? It's, right. It's no secret that that they're running a risky business, and you know, going 20 years is an if a lot of times, and yet they they choose to sink their whole lives into this idea, this concept. And yeah, this I think. Business. Well, I think you have to believe in yourself, right? I mean, you have to think you have a good idea and a good product and a good business approach. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it in the first place, right? Um, but these guys, they have young kids and they're they have experience and they know what they're getting into and i think they really are going to make a go of it and try their best to make it last
Well, that is The Diplomat on Brady Street. And next, we're going to head to, you know, speaking of a, a restaurant that has been a bunch of different restaurants over the years, using some old technology, I'm sure, over the years, um, we're going to go to a brewery next in Bayview that really focuses on barrel-aged brewing, barrel-aged fermentation of their beer. Um, a super old-school technology being revived right in Bayview. We're going to head to 1840 Brewery next in Urban Spelunking. To Bayview, we go to 1840 Brewery. This is a really old school brewery on uh, Ward Street on the north end of Bayview. Old school in in the truest sense because they use this really uh, time-tested technology to to make their beer. Yeah, the guy who runs it, Kyle Vetter, is um, a big fan of barrel aging, of the process of it and the the sort of possibilities of it. And he likes to call it a, a, you know like an urban farmhouse brewery because he likes to use whatever he can get his hands on. When I was there, they were making a beer out of kumquats. Really? Yeah. So, like, just trying to do that kind of old school kind of, you know, farmhouse, um, making do with what you got and, you know, using these sort of tried and true traditions to do things. It's interesting when you go there, you walk in, and I don't know if you've been to a lot of breweries, but if you've been to breweries, you walk in and you notice immediately that it doesn't look like a brewery that you've been in before because there's only like a handful of relatively small fermentation tanks and the rest is all... Oak barrels. So you're not seeing these big stainless steel tanks? You're no, there's a few, but... A lot of wood. A lot of wood. It's very much like going to a winery or even maybe like a like a, an aging room in a distillery. Interesting. Um, it's and, pretty crazy. And the owner, Kyle Vetter, you mentioned is like the number one thing that he always gets asked is, where do you get these barrels from? Yeah, and he gets them from a barrel broker called The Barrel Broker. That's a great name. Isn't that a great name? That's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. It's it's beautiful in its simplicity, um, and it's it's in the Milwaukee area. And so he gets like bottle he gets uh, barrels for, that were used by wineries, by distilleries, all different kinds of things. And what he does, interestingly, is he buys his wort, which is basically the sugar water. That's the first stage of brewing. Um, this is Brewery Tour One Hundred and One here. Yes, and so he buys that from places like Third Space and Explorium, and then oh, okay. he does the rest. You know at at his place, and he really kind of works the magic on that end of the process. Um, so he gets like the, it's like not even quite stage zero. It's like stage. It's an it's a raw ingredient basically, yeah. you know. And he he would like to bring it in house, and he plans to do that at some point. But it's something he realized that he could sort of source out, and he goes there and he brews with them, and they use his recipes. So it's not like he's just buying cans of wort off the shelf or something, you know. It, he still has his hands in that part of the business. And that's really um, interesting that, that these breweries are playing nice with each other. I mean, technically, they would be competitors, but it seems like you they, don't they find brew that. together. Right? Yeah, you don't find that in craft brewing. You find lots of um, like beers that are made by two breweries at the same time. Like yeah. They partner up on these different breweries, on these different beers. And it's really interesting that they're, they are all willing to kind of work together in this way. And they do a lot of beers with Explorium. Um, they're doing some with some other breweries too. Okay. Um, so it's interesting. I asked him if it was if this was like a financial decision that he took this approach, and he said it was because he knew he couldn't really afford to build a full on brewery from the get go. So he he took out the part that he knew he could have somebody else do and still have some control, and that's where he's at now. So he's really loving what he's doing now. He doesn't regret doing that, although he would, like I said, at some point like to bring it in house. But he is really passionate about what you can do with the oak. You know, he's tried all yeah. kinds of different things. And he does make a few beers that don't go into barrels, but that's about 10% of what he what he makes. Otherwise, the rest. And actually, it was interesting. One beer he showed me uh, didn't go into a barrel, but the barrel went into it. 
he put the the staves into the fermenter with the really with the beer. Yeah, yeah. He talks about the, just the power that the barrel has in imparting all these flavors and, and subtle notes or really uh, recognizable notes into the product, depending on what the barrel was used for previously. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. So like, it, you know, depends on the kind of wine. How you know how many times it's been used, uh, like what kind, or if was it used for whiskey, mm-hmm. bourbon, things like that. And there's he's really he's trying to like try all these different things. So every month he has he releases like three beers that he's doing basically for the first time. And all uh, the bottling is done by hand, right? Yeah, he's One got like a time. hand bottle hand bottling machine that you just sort of like stick the thing in there, put the cap, and you pull the thing wow. down. You do one bottle at a time. Um, so but so made, he opens made with craft, made with love, absolutely top to bottom. And he opens for like one weekend a month to do the release of these three beers, which seem to sell out almost immediately. And he's just doing constantly different things to just test the limits and test the possibilities and. It's really it's interesting because you never really know what you're going to get, and the the ones he's doing this month are are pretty great, pretty interesting. And you know you might like some more than you like others. Sure, but you got to give him credit for just being willing to try absolutely almost anything. So you mentioned I uh, talk about interesting products. I mean, like uh, a kumquat concoction, and then there's also like this raspberries, like almost like a smoothie informed beer. Yeah, right? he said uh, he, when I was there, they were they were looking at the color of this one beer. I'm like, what are you guys doing? He's like, well, oh, we're checking the color of this beer. He said I, I wanted to make something that was sort of influenced by a fruit smoothie. He showed me uh, this picture of the beer before they put the fruit puree in it, and it's really light, really uh, almost white, you know. And uh, then they put like more than a pound of fruit puree, and it's like raspberry and blackberry per gallon wow. of this beer. And what they came out with is just like this neon <laughs> pinkish yeah, purple, it's like bright, bright yeah. colors. And and because of the fruit puree and all that, it's got such a good body to it, and sure. it's it's really a nice beer. It's not generally the kind of thing I would if I saw it on a shelf, I probably wouldn't be about it. But like seeing it there and then trying it, it was it was really incredible. You know the things that he's able to to do because he's not bound by almost anything. He's willing to try almost anything, which is great. Yeah, and I mean, if you're talking about a, a product that takes a pound of berries per gallon of, of beer... It's probably good for you, right? It prob- I'm sure it's great, yeah. <laughs> it's like that study where, like, uh, the glass of wine is the equivalent to an hour at the gym, right? And right. This, if you drink like a gallon of this beer, you're getting, like... <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... Tying into that, I mean, he, he talks about it being a really expensive way to make beer, and I, I would just then that's the first thing I thought of when I'm thinking a pound of what does a pound of raspberries go for? Yeah, you right. Know, I don't know. Right? To make a batch of that, uh, but that's that's really what makes his product so unique and special. Well, it's also interesting that it's expensive for the same reason that anything that's aged is expensive. You know, you're making it now, but you can't sell it until later because it has to sit. You know, so it's a lot of money up front. Yeah, for delayed sort of reimbursement <laughs> later. So it is. It's an expensive proposition from that standpoint, for sure. So this building, it it's it has a really rich Bayview history itself. It used to be a bunch of different restaurants. It's um, subdivided into a couple different areas where um, different businesses have operated over the years. Get us up to speed where this building is. Okay, yeah, it's on the northwest corner of Ward and Kinnikinnick. So the front of it on on the corner of Kinnikinnick and Ward has always been like a retail space and has had tons of restaurants in it over the years, mostly restaurants. There was a tax service in there for a while. Now it's a pet bakery. Um, pet bakery. Yes, but the back portions. You. Yeah, very. But the back portions have always been industrial. Okay. There were, like, you know, like you said, that most recently in that space was a screen printing shop. 
Um, but there were machine shops in there and that that kind of thing. Um, and uh, the bigger part of that back section is um, owned by Bigfoot, which sells bikes and skateboards and roller skates. And they've got a really colorful like facade. Yes. You would probably recognize Very it. Very colorful facade. And then the, the a smaller, smaller portion of it at the far west end is the brewery, which is painted in a more sort of muted tone and uh, has just one little sign above the mailbox that says what it is. I've walked past it numerous times without knowing it was there. Yeah, me too. In fact, I think we ran into each other right outside. We did. <laughs> right outside this space. And, and I, we didn't mention to each other that it was a brewery. We were yeah, like, hey, I, I look, don't think either of us knew at the time, yeah. <laughs> so he's only open. They only open this place up to the public one weekend a month, and yet it's it's built this great Milwaukee reputation and. How long have they been open? Not even they opened last year. Yeah, yeah, and they they have must not have any foot traffic because like you know they're not even open most of the time, and it's not a very busy street. And again, we said there's not much there for signage, but still he was named the best new bar in Milwaukee by onmilwaukee.com readers, and was came in second in best brewery, which that wow. seems pretty amazing to me because Lakefront was first, which is not amazing, but think of the other breweries in town: Milwaukee Brewing Company, Good City. Third Space, Sprecher, like any any of these places. And this guy came in second. That's amazing to me. And it probably shows you, too, that, you know, among among the, the beer aficionados, uh, he must be doing something right. And Absolutely. This, this uh, old school technique is resonating with them. Yeah. So he's obviously doing something right. Good for him. You know, it's, it's great. I think it's great that you can come into this scene that has such an established big names and still make your mark that quickly. Very cool. So that is 1840 Brewery in Bayview. Earlier, we were at the Diplomat on Brady Street, and you can explore much more about both these buildings and the stories behind them by visiting Bobby's columns. We have those linked up at radiomilwaukee.org. Podcasts on 88.9 are produced by Tyrone Miller. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from On Milwaukee and, of course, your membership. Subscribe to this podcast at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts on iTunes or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo. Thanks. Thanks, mate.